For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson. With the latest readout video from our free Wednesday wake-up email newsletter, and in this one, I'm not going to give you hell. Unlike, say, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who rants and raves about climate in apocalyptic terms like, quote, humanity has opened the gates of hell, end quote. Which I think you'd notice if it had really happened, something about the temperature and the smell of sulfur. So this kind of babble rather discredits the cause. And curiously, I have unexpected company here in saying that, in the person of the new head of the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the supposedly authoritative and certainly unavoidable IPCC of alarmist lore. Specifically, Jim Skay, a physicist from Scotland, who has a message for alarmists that, quote, if you constantly communicate the message that we are all doomed to extinction, then that paralyzes people and prevents them from taking the necessary steps to get a grip on climate change, end quote. I'd prefer it if he thought that the problem is that the message is false, not that it makes activism harder to sell, but at least he admitted, quote, the world won't end if it gets more than 1.5 degrees warmer, end quote. And frankly, it was high time someone lowered the temperature in this debate. Now, Skay isn't our new best friend, nor are we his. He does think that if it gets more than 1.5 degrees Celsius warmer, quote, it will be a more dangerous world. Countries will struggle with many problems, there will be social tensions, end quote. Which we find a bit silly, since uh, countries have struggled with many problems since countries were invented, the world has been dangerous since long before that time, and there's been social tension ever since there was society. And we also say, ach nee man, since on the theory that he's talking about 1.5 degrees Celsius warmer than pre-industrial times, a term alarmists think means in 1850, though actually it means everything before 1850, including the time of the dinosaurs who didn't have industry, and it certainly saw periods warmer than today, even within the current Holocene interglacial. But in any event, what he's talking about is a further increase of 0.4 degrees Celsius over today's conditions. And the notion that that kind of change would cause major upheavals is absurd. If your house got 0.4 degrees Celsius warmer, nobody would notice. It's certainly not worth breaking the bank to try to prevent. But at least he's trying to be reasonable, even warning that clowns like Just Stop Oil and Extinction Rebellion may well be alienating normal people. Now, it's kind of sad when that's progress in a debate, but given current conditions, we will take it. And if alarmists are trying to seem sane and stop annoying people, at least some of them are, maybe it's because their frantic messaging really has lost its power to persuade in the light of real-world developments. For instance, in Britain, the big green blob may actually let you buy a gasoline-powered car until 2035 instead of 2030, as well as a water heater that works, and, for some lucky folks in Britain, a furnace too. What can Prime Minister Sunak be thinking? Well, possibly something along the lines of angry voters will turn on me if I ruin their lives for nothing. And if that's the motivation, it's actually a vindication of self-government, even if, as we complained back in August, the bien-pensant activists, formerly known as journalists at the Washington Post, ran an analysis that framed it thusly, quote, As the world boils, a backlash to climate action gains strength, end quote. Boo! Backlash! boiling. What's wrong with the public? And notice that a left-wing movement or protest is never a backlash. It's only stuff from mean, ignorant, irascible right-wingers that gets that label. 
Oh, and that people actually paying attention to the harsh real-world consequences of trendy climate policy and making politicians do it too are now engaged in one of these famous backlashes. In the newsletter, we also note MSN's reprint of a GB News item claiming, quote, Britain will be blasted with scorching temperatures before the end of September following heavy rain and gale force winds, with temperatures expected to reach 23 degrees Celsius, end quote. Although London, Liverpool, Manchester, Leeds, Hull, and Birmingham are also forecast to see 20 degrees Celsius. Imagine calling 23 degrees Celsius scorching and not realizing you'd lost contact with reality in pursuit of a cause and with the public. Oh well, the journalists could always warm themselves by a roaring headline. And now, a word from our sponsor. And yes, again, that's you. All the people out there who are already backing our work and all the people who are subscribing. More than 84,000 of you on YouTube alone, where we've had almost 10 million views. But. We need to keep up the momentum, and that's why I interrupt to pass the hat to those of you who aren't already backers and say please make a pledge, one time or monthly, $3, $5, $10, whatever you can afford so we can continue to push back against the climate cult and win this battle. And now, back to me. Also, and it was just a matter of time, quote, a real estate company with multiple properties in Toronto's Parkdale neighborhood has banned the use of electric vehicles ranging from e-bikes to scooters, end quote. And it won't be the last one to do so. Also, as sales of electric vehicles plummet in Britain, guess what? The makers asked governments to give them even more subsidies because those dim consumers just won't buy the things at market prices. In the newsletter, we also note a National Geographic report that says climate change can be very hard on young people. And you may be thinking, yes, there's a lot of debilitating despair among true believers in man-made warming, especially teenagers, and it's no surprise when they're continually bombarded with alarmist headlines of the sort Jim Shea is trying to tone down. Or you might be thinking, yes, foolish climate policies mean young people realize they face an impoverished future. And you'd be right on both counts, but it's not what this story refers to. Instead, National Geographic recently said that shortly before being whacked by the Inca, the Chimu of northern Peru sacrificed hundreds of children to stop flooding events tied to El Nino rains. And this grisly spectacle even forced National Geographic to blurt out the inconvenient truth that, quote, while many scientists believe the impact of El Nino cycles are increasingly exacerbated by climate change, Archaeological evidence shows the climate phenomenon has been severely affecting life in the region for more than a thousand years, end quote. Good heavens, you mean natural climate change leading to mass panic, apocalyptic cults, and terrible policy is nothing new? Why weren't we told? Though speaking of things that we were told, ad nauseam, in the game of alarmist whack-a-mole, the latest and greatest sudden certainty is that, as Reuters' sustainable switch emailed, quote, Earth's life support systems at tipping point, end quote. According to the story, quote, the world had now crossed six of nine planetary boundaries, end quote, which you might not have noticed. Six of nine? I mean, did scientists know they were there before this study and they were carefully attracting our approach to them? Or was it just more lurid fear-mongering invented on the spot? Either way, apparently we're now two-thirds of the way to being dead, or something. The metaphors keep changing, so it's hard to know what exactly to expect. Mind you, the story is good clickbait. 
AFP, which once had the gall to fact-check us on a simple statement of fact, roared, quote, Human activity and appetites have weakened Earth's resilience, pushing it far beyond the safe operating space that keeps the world livable for most species, including our own, a landmark study said Wednesday, end quote. So, down with ordinary people and their appetites. But think about that phrase, far beyond the safe operating space. Did you know that it had a safe operating space? And another thing, if we're out of it, far beyond it, and the world is no longer livable for most species, including our own, shouldn't there be stacks of bodies everywhere? Not just of people, but of entire types of animals? Uh, Unless, of course, words have no meaning. Now, Reuters' sustainable switch mostly just killed humans off, insisting that we got, quote, stark news to end on this week as an international team of 29 experts found that the Earth is now well outside of the safe operating space for humanity due to human activity, end quote. And one might note sardonically that the Earth has often been outside this fabled safe operating space for humanity due to human activities like, say, war or terrorism. But, If we're meant to believe the era of global boiling has arrived from the mouth of hell, or something of that sort, how is it that the human population keeps growing and people keep living longer and healthier lives? In our view, alarmist verbiage is well outside 43 of 17 known danger-to-your-credibility tipping zone points, leading to breakdown into laughter. And... If you too could use a good laugh, there's also the incredible fact that there was just yet another UN climate summit, the one at which its Secretary General, the ever shrill Antonio Guterres of boiling oceans and climate breakdown fame, announced to general indifference that his wretched fellow humans have, as we noted, quote, opened the gates to hell, end quote. And in that speech he also said, quote, we must make up time lost to foot-dragging, arm-twisting, and the naked greed of entrenched interests raking in billions from fossil fuels, end quote. Fine. You want to make up for time lost at 27 COP meetings by scheduling a 29th and 30th to follow the 28th? Do you want to bicker over the agenda at a pre-meeting meeting in August and then hold a between pre and actual meeting meeting in September to rant, rave, burn vast amounts of CO2 traveling around, and eat fancy food while priding yourself on your righteousness? Because frankly, that's just what we need to make us laugh. And another thing, the next topic in our review of the Almonte article that your intellectual superiors have decreed that you are not supposed to learn about is the riotous growth of trees, plants, grasses, and all the other inhabitants of the earth for whom rising CO2 levels are nutritious food, not poisonous pollution, and didn't realize that they were well outside the safe operating zone in which things like them could live. So much for six of nine safe boundary tipping point catastrophes, apparently. Mind you, those authors estimate that if we really did somehow get atmospheric CO2 back down to mid-19th century levels, it would likely cause an 18% drop in global agricultural productivity, even given today's improved farming methods. And then you really would get outside the safe operating space for a great many poor people. In the newsletter, we also continue our survey of Bjorn Lomborg's massive analysis of 21st century climate policy. This week, his discussion of climate policy in general that followed his previous assessment of the Paris Accord in particular. And remember, Lomborg is not a denier. He believes that, quote, climate change is a real cost, end quote. But then he says, quote, climate policy also has a real cost and one that escalates as promises and targets ratchet up, end quote. So, 
The sensible thing to do is, quote, find the point where the costs of climate plus the costs of climate policy are lowest, end quote, which is the sort of thing economists do as a regular habit, including, and on this very issue, Yale's William Nordhaus, who won a Nobel Prize in economics for his efforts. Like Lomberg, Nordhaus goes to great pains to insist that he's not a denier. In fact, he takes all the usual climate model outputs at face value and plugs them into his model. But he's not a denier of economics either, so he also plugs in the costs of climate policy. Now, as a matter of fact, far from being a denier, he could be accused of being overly optimistic because he assumes that governments will choose the most efficient climate policy possible, namely a global carbon tax. And you may have noticed that's not typically how governments operate. Still, if the climate alarmist models are right, and so are the climate alarmist policies, where does it get us? And in Nordhaus's analysis, not much below doing nothing at all, as Lomborg summarizes in this diagram. On it, the yellow line shows the cost of climate policy, that's in trillions of dollars on the vertical axis, depending how much warming we're willing to accept in degrees on the horizontal axis. And it ranges from a supposed 4.1 degrees of warming by 2100, if we do nothing and spend nothing, to about $170 trillion in policy costs to limit warming to 2.2 degrees. So that means that whole $170 trillion would reduce warming by just 1.8 degrees. And now, the orange line, it's the one that shows the estimated costs of the warming itself, again, according to the conventional models. If we keep the warming to 2.2 degrees Celsius, the models say the total losses humans will suffer would be about $40 trillion. Whereas if we do nothing and get 4.1 degrees of warming, the damage will be about $140 trillion. And yes, both figures are large, though not compared to the vast global GDP that we're expected to have by 2100, barring some other really major catastrophe like an asteroid hitting. So what should we do? Well, we want the point where the combined cost of the measures that we did take and the warming that we didn't prevent is smallest. And it turns out to be well out to the right, so to speak, where we spend about $20 trillion to hold warming to 3.5 degrees and weather about $100 trillion in harms. Whereas if we go full Greta, we get total costs about double that $120 trillion sum. Now to repeat, Nordhaus model may well overestimate warming and the damage it brings. In fact, Lomborg ran the scenario again with slightly less drastic assumptions, and he found that the ideal might be to allow 3.75 degrees Celsius of warming, meaning even less intervention. But either way, the conclusion from a mainstream Nobel Prize winning economic analysis based on mainstream assumptions about climate science, rather than the claims of deniers, is not just that we can't stop warming, but that any effort to reach net zero, or anywhere close to it, is foolishness. Finally, from the CO2 Science Archive, we bring a study of 15,000 years of climate proxies in the middle reach of the Yangtze River that found, well, a whole lot of fluctuation, including the Holocene climatic optimum, the medieval warm period, and the Little Ice Age. Yes, folks, the things you're told are regional happen from Europe to China and beyond. That's quite a region. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I know the only real climate hell is listening to alarmists ranting and droning at their endless conferences. Mm -hmm.